You're listening to KXL in the morning. I'm your host, A.J. Kirstead. Let's get the latest in New Hampshire government news with our friends at the New Hampshire Bulletin. Get their articles at NewHampshireBulletin.com. They join WKXL in the morning every Friday, and this week I'm joined by reporter Amanda Goki. Welcome back. Hi, A.J. Thanks for having me. So... Just like the last two weeks when I've had you guys on, it's been very, very busy over at the State House in New Hampshire, but uh, there's been a little bit of progress with some of the stuff that you've been covering, which is nice. A lot of the stuff we've been covering is just tabled things that maybe someday we'll talk about again, but what's going on with energy efficiency? Yeah, there's sort of been a, a thrum of activity over there at the at the State House. Um there was a, a agreement, sort of bipartisan agreement, drafted on this energy efficiency bill. Um, it's House Bill 549. Its author is uh, Republican uh, Michael Vose. Um, he's the chair of um, the House uh, Science, Technology, and Energy Committee. And he worked with Senator David Waters and Senator Avard. Um, and they kind of reached the finish line, at least for now, on an amendment um, to the energy efficiency conversation that's been going on. So they're really looking at this as as sort of a response to what's happened over the past couple of months um, with weatherization, the state's weatherization programs really grinding to a halt after a state decision to, um, to reject uh, an energy efficiency plan that had been put together last year. Um, so basically what this would do is it would put energy efficiency into New Hampshire state law. That's sort of the big um, milestone that we've that we've reached for right now. Um, and that would provide some stability, which is which is what energy contractors say that they need to provide services to, to um, people who wouldn't be able to afford them um, without this sort of program in place. It's like the um, the less sexy brother to the uh, when it comes to all the other work towards getting more efficient, uh, less greenhouse gas emitting emissions based heating products on the market. So it's always forgotten about the efficiency side when that's extraordinarily important, especially in New England, where you have extreme hot and extreme cold, depending on what part of the year you're in. Is this something that's uh, existed as a priority for the state for a long time? Uh, is this something that's just been uh, kind of back and forth with it when it comes to politics? Well, that's one of the things that energy contractors have really struggled with. They've said, you know, these decisions have sort of ping-ponged all over the place. They haven't had that sort of consistency in the past because it has become a political process and with with these sort of big changes from, um, you know, depending on who has control of the of the state house um so the the hope is with a law like this on the books if it does pass um that it would it would provide more of a stable route forward so this would set funding at 2020 levels and it would provide for modest yearly increases sort of calculating for inflation and and adding a small percentage on top of that um so so that the programs could grow over over time what does it look like politically for the Democrats and the Republicans with regards to supporting something like this? I mean, usually it's the Democrats that are they're obviously pushing forward for uh, services for people that that are in need of them, as well as going toward a focus on climate change has definitely been a, a, a large priority for that party. But something like this seems like it'd be a great priority for the Republicans because it gets them something a little more that they can grasp on and what's going on. Maybe they don't feel they don't follow the ideology or of the uh, climate change side of the house. This is like 
this supports businesses in the state, and there's a lot of businesses that could really do with either a having that efficiency, which is going to save them money year over year, and also just the contractors that could really use the business. Yeah, and I think that's why it has sort of ultimately come around to this kind of bipartisan agreement. What you saw early last or sort of late last year um, was was that. And by last year, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking in 2021 terms. So this was like late in 2020. There was, um, you know, some Republican lawmakers who who wrote to the Public Utilities Commission saying they were concerned about at that point what was a very ambitious plan. So they said, you know, this would increase the spending too drastically. The, um, you know, business groups, some uh, business groups were concerned about those increases. Um, but once that decision was made and the program was gutted, um, I think folks from both sides of the aisle realized that that wasn't a great solution either. So what they've come up with is something that's um, it's more modest than than that plan from 2020. Um, but it was something that people could agree on. It, it also got the governor's support. Um, he's you know said that he supports energy efficiency measures in the past. And um, so this this latest agreement got his got his support as well. He's going to make it through the Senate, do you think? Um, so it is in it just made it out of Senate committee. Um, okay. It's on I believe it's on the consent calendar. So that uh, signals, you know, that it, it's not one that they expect a ton of debate on the Senate floor. Um, my sense was that there's a lot of momentum around this. They want to get it to the governor. They're hoping to get it to him as early as um, early February. So it would pop back over to the house for that the house to concur on the changes that had been made to it. And then it would make its way to the, the governor's desk. And, you know, he indicated earlier this week that um, it's something he intends to sign and, and um, basically get these contractors back to work. So I'm going to mix up what we initially planned before we start this conversation. But I want to be sure to dive into the bottle bill because I'm very intrigued what that entails. Uh, and that I'm assuming is coming out either today or very soon, uh, this Friday morning when this is airing. So what's going on with that? Yeah, absolutely. So this is another bill that um, that was uh, there was some public hearing held on this earlier this week. Um, a bottle bill, essentially what it what its goal is, is to increase recycling um, rates of recycling in the state, you know, around the country, those um, the sort of average recycling rate, uh, as estimated by the Environmental Protection Agency, is just around 30% of, of materials. And this has become a big conversation in New Hampshire um, as there were proposals being put forward, um, pretty controversial proposals to cite a, a landfill. And that was a huge topic of debate in the last legislative session um, regarding the Casella proposal in, in Dalton. So a group of lawmakers from the North Country have kind of got together. Um, again, this is a this is a bipartisan group. It, it definitely spans both Democrats and, and Republicans um, who, are tr- who are trying to put together legislation that can tackle this issue. So with the bottle bill, the idea being if, if you give a financial incentive to people to redeem their bottles for five cents, some states have it at five cents, this bill would put it at 10 cents, then they're more likely to do that as opposed to throwing it in the trash and, and that material just ending up in a, in a landfill somewhere. Um, I'm, I grew up in Maine. 
<laughs> throw that the onset of this conversation before I progress. So I, I lived and breathed this growing up. I mean, it, it, there's also a large um, economy that can build up around it with regards to uh, redemption centers being able to open up. Um, larger big box stores open up ways of collecting and, and, and sorting through all that. I mean, is, is this, do they view this as something that can really be a boost to a, a new aspect of, of the New Hampshire economy? Is this just strictly related to the environmental aspect of it or is it a balance? Well, you know, I think that's an interesting point. And the, the discussion in the state house really focused more on the environmental benefits of this i think the um the it's a dirty corporatist in me i'm sorry (laughs) no the 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 economic side of it um you know in the past bottle bills have have faced some opposition from you know grocers associations the beverage industry they say it's, it's costly and sort of a nuisance for them to have to to deal with um so that was sort of the side of the story that we were hearing in the in the public hearing um but it's an interesting point and and that's another that's another thing that came up uh while i was writing this story new hampshire in this area is a bit of an outlier in New England. So yeah. all of our neighbors do have bottle bills. Um, Rhode Island is the only other New England state that doesn't currently have one. Um, and there's also efforts to, to pass this sort of legislation there. But it's it's been, I know Vermont was talking about expanding their bottle bill um, and, and looking for ways at, at make, increasing this um, sort of economy as you as you mentioned and it it would potentially because even even though you're increasing that rate of how much people are recycling this bill for example sets a goal of 90 percent which is viewed as relatively ambitious um but that still leaves 10 percent of sort of unclaimed um deposits right those 10 cents that you pay when you buy the bottle that can go into a fund and you can put that towards uh, you know, recycling fund, or in this case, the language had it going to the state's general fund. Um, so it can sort of drive other other state projects as well. Yeah, and and talking about just the like I was saying before about the businesses that business opportunities that are in it. I mean, this is a solid uh, low low bar to to create your own business, which is nice. I mean, it's. I, <laughs> I'm kind of torn on it because it, it, it is definitely a low-income job. I mean, there's no way around it, but it gives an opportunity for someone that wants to start their own business to have the opportunity to do something like that, which is kind of nice. So that's an advantage with it. Um, my my skeptical hat on part of it is, I mean, what does what do the numbers look like? I come from, from the IT world where the electronics recycling, a lot of it's just trash. They, they end up throwing everything in uh, these horrible places in third-world countries to go through and the residents there end up going through really horrible situations to go through it. Obviously, we're talking about bottles. It's not that same thing. But has anyone brought up the realistically what's actually happening with these materials when they're recycling? Do they actually get put to something useful afterwards? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I've I've uh, two things to say on this. The first is um, I spoke with the the landfill and solid waste manager for Lebanon. Um, a guy named Mark Morgan. And he was saying, actually, he was talking about car batteries and the fact that most people don't realize, but there is this sort of deposit 
um, set up with car batteries and they're very recyclable. So that's kind of a good corollary to, to what this is trying to do. It's just most people don't, you don't think about it. Um, but that, that recycling is, is actually very effective. Um, and then the other thing that was, that I learned in, in researching for this is that, um, there's glass, like manufacturers and glass container, like advocacy groups that are now coming to be in favor of this sort of uh, recycling scheme because of the difficulty with recycling glass. Glass is very heavy. It can break when it's in, tr in transit and it's not a commodity that has a really high value on on. If it's if it's not like what they call a pure stream so if you think of yeah. single sort for example you have your glass bottles they're in with a bunch of other stuff they're getting dirty they're getting broken that's not a product that you can then turn around and sell so for towns that are doing this kind of recycling they actually end up having to pay like 40 dollars a ton to recycle their glass yeah. um, compared to things like aluminum, which I'm remembering was, I think, about 47 cents per pound that you could sell it for that amount. Right. So some of the stuff that really those market realities really drive the recycling, whether something and, and that has to do with how easy it is to be reused. So aluminum can very easily get turned into another aluminum can, for example, like a, mm. a, a can of soda. We that, saw that, it here about the uh, the T-shirts made from bottles and such. Uh, that's been a big thing. But glass is a more challenging one. Right. And so it was interesting to hear that that industry had actually sort of shifted course to being supportive of these measures, just acknowledging like this will generate a, a, a higher quality product that we can actually reuse and and that has a a positive value as opposed to losing that in the process yeah and and if we if there's convenient ways in the the financial incentive for the consumer to properly recycle these glass bottles that's a lot better for the environment because it's once again it's not using fossil fuels petroleum and such in order to make plastic bottles it's uh hopefully in theory would help it probably uh be nice for some of the like uh, you go to the nicer stores, you go to the works, you get a, a boiling soda or whatever it is. They're in the glass bottles. It, it's more, uh, imagine those companies would also appreciate seeing their stuff actually get recycled and make it through to the end. Right, what's the next steps for this bill? So the bill will probably go through an executive session um, early next week. And from there, the committee, um, in this case, it's Environment and Agriculture, the House Committee, um, they'll make their recommendation about what they want to do with it. And then it will go to the House floor after after that with that recommendation for the full House to, to vote on it. I did talk to um, the chair of that committee, Howard Pearl, and he sees this as a pretty complicated and significant policy change. Um, so my sense from him was he thought this needed some more, some more work and some time, um, in which case I wouldn't expect anything too drastic to happen. But what I was hearing from others around the state and um, environmental groups was, you know, we really are in kind of an unprecedented moment in terms of people's awareness of trash as a problem, you know, 50, with 50, over 50% of trash coming into New Hampshire from out of state. That was something that was highlighted in the debates about the landfill last year. Um, so there's, in the, in the terms of the public, there's a lot of awareness around this and concern over the issue. So we'll see if that if that translates into the political realm, uh, but it, it will probably face some some challenges from um, in that in moving forward.
So in the last four minutes here, I want to touch upon there was a House committee discussing Native American mascots. What committee was this and what was the basis for what they're looking to hit? Yeah, this was actually in um, uh, the education, the House Education Committee that they were talking about this. Um, it's it's legislation that would ban the use of Native American mascots um, for public schools. So that's why it was in um, in that in that committee. And basically the discussion was, was about, you know, these, these mascots are um, often stereotypical images. They can sometimes be derogatory images. And there's been studies done showing that they can cause psychological harm to uh, Native American youth, as well as perpetuate stereotypes for people who, you know, this might be the, the number one thing that they're seeing and thinking um, about indigenous people in, in the, in the country right now. And it's, it's uh, not really reflective of, of those communities. So that was sort of what this bill is, is hoping to uh, address. And there was definitely some questions from the committee about, um, you know, the scope of the bill and, um, and um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, is the House Education Committee is the same one that was discussing the divisive concepts legislation too. I mean, uh, I'm kind of surprised to hear this coming from this group. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and that's that's one of the things I've learned uh, covering New Hampshire is like all of the bills that are introduced get do get heard, and mm -hmm. and so um, you know there was there was certainly some some questions that that came up, um, and it'll be interesting to see where this where this bill goes. There are similar proposals in Massachusetts, um, Maine. Again, our neighbor to the north did pass a ban of this nature in 2019. I know Vermont. Um, there's lawmakers who are considering introducing similar legislation there as well. So it's definitely a topic in the in the region and I think across the country as well with some of the major sports teams like the Washington football team recently changing changing their name. So I think that's sort of where this local proposal fits into a more national conversation around representation and um, in different communities. Has Maine, for example, already made the changes to their school districts? I mean, the real question is enforcement, I'd imagine, is how do you make the schools do it? I mean, I'd imagine they've considered that a bit. Yeah, I haven't followed that closely in, in Maine to know. I mean, I think that it the law, I'm, I'm not sure when the, that law took effect there, but um, from from what I've heard, I, I don't I don't know that there was issues in terms of enforcing it. Um, some of the the folks who spoke on, because of course, a sort of legislative solution or, or ban is one approach, but it's it's not the only approach. So um, some folks from the from indigenous Abenaki communities did speak um, in support of this bill. And they talked about their experiences um, working with schools where students, for example, had started a petition and said, we would like to see this change in our school, can we work with you to, to make it happen? So some schools have already transitioned away in the past several years from using these sorts of, of mascots. Yeah, I mean, what's the next steps on that? I imagine it's, gonna, it's, it's got a bit to go if it's still in the House Committee. Yes, so that one is a similar um, situation. It will go to the, um, the, the committee will make a recommendation on whether it ought to pass or if it's inexpedient to legislate, um, they could make changes to it. Um, and then it'll go to the full house for a vote after that point. I'm going to make a joking capitalist. This is why you should do it. Look at all the merch you can sell. You can just change everything. All the sign companies make so much money. It'll be great. Just, just go for it. Amanda Go Keith, New Hampshire Bulletin. Thank you so much for joining me. 
Thanks, AJ. You're listening to WKXL in the morning, and WKXL will be right back after this.